you beautiful bastards. Hope you've had a fantastic Thursday. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Buckle up, hit that like button, and let's just jump into it. And the first thing we just have to talk about today uh, starts uh, with this clip. Okay. We have to open up. We have to right. go back. Our bus drivers, our But hasn't cleaners, it been because of social distancing that the numbers have been what they are? How do you know until we have a control group? We offer to be a control group. Anybody who knows anything about statistics knows that, for instance, you have a vaccine. You're, you're offering you the, the citizens of Las Vegas to be a control group to see if your I theory on social distancing no, works no, no, or doesn't no, work. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. Don't put words in my mouth. You just said, said we'll be a control I group. Offer, excuse me. What I said was. I offered to be a control group, and I was told by our statistician, you can't do that because people from all parts of Southern Nevada come in to work in the city. And I said, oh, that's too bad. Are we sure that's really the mayor of Las Vegas and not just some old lady who's been on penny slots for the past 18 hours, sipping martini after martini, who's now walking around saying, I'm the mayor of Las Vegas. No, that's actually the mayor of Las Vegas, Carolyn Goodman. And I will say, while there were many standout moments from this interview, that, that, that part was easily my favorite. She acts like Anderson Cooper spinning her words in a gotcha moment. But what actually had happened was Anderson Cooper thought she said something that was less horrible than what she actually said. Right, essentially her reaction was like, no, 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 Anderson, you thought you got me. I didn't say I'm offering up the residents of Las Vegas. I'm saying I already offered them and I was told no. <laughs> right, right, and understand this wasn't some sort of momentary slip. This was something that she actually leaned into. She started talking about how you need a placebo and Las Vegas could be the placebo. You have a placebo that gets the water and the sugar, and then you get those that actually get the shot. We would love to be that placebo side so you have something to measure against. So all you, the data until You want to get the placebo. You don't want to get the actual- well, no, The group who gets the placebo, by the way, usually gets the short end of the stick. Um, well, you don't know. How do you know when you're Mayor, in part of let that me just group? Say, you are- Mayor, Mayor, if so, there's that, and and one of the main general things in this interview is she wants to open Las Vegas back up. Though I will say, in the course of this interview, it doesn't appear she has any answers on how to actually do it. Irrational. How do you do that in a casino? That's up to them to figure out. I'm I don't own a casino right now. We're in a crisis health-wise, and so for a restaurant to be open or a small. Uh, boutique to be open, they better figure it out. That's their job. Right, and regarding that last point, right, in this health crisis, it's ultimately on the businesses themselves. This is something this week she's hit on multiple times. This Tuesday with Katie Turr, she said. And let the businesses open, and competition will destroy that business if, in fact, they are become evident that they have disease, they're closed down. It's that simple. Right, and with that, Cooper actually read that quote back to her, telling her that we wouldn't know if a business was becoming the epicenter of any sort of spread until weeks after it it already happened. And honestly, watching this interview, it was frustrating just being a viewer. I can't even imagine how frustrating it was to be him, which I imagine is part of the reason we got moments like this when Anderson Cooper is trying to explain how even if you have one person going into a restaurant, how it can spread, right? This was an example provided of what could happen in China, to which she responds. This isn't China. Yeah. This, this is, is Las a... Vegas, Nevada. Wow. Okay. That's really ignorant. This is a restaurant 
And the that's yellow circle, say that's an ignorant, then, ignorant statement. That's, that's a restaurant. <laughs> and yes, it's in China, but there are human beings too. Right, not only are human beings human beings, but restaurants are restaurants. Right, the example being given of possible spread if someone is infected, that, that's not China specific. That is restaurant or location specific. And here's the thing, there are other notable moments in that interview things to pull from. I'll, I'll link to the full one down below. Though I, I do wanna give a warning, if you watch this video, there is the possibility that you will slam your head against the wall multiple times, and I do not wanna be responsible for whatever costs that you incur. So consider this a warning provided. Now, following that interview, uh, of course, there was a ton of ridicule directed at Goodman. People saying things like Anderson Cooper may have just ended her career. I couldn't imagine a public official coming off worse in an interview. There should be a mercy rule. Though here, I would say I personally disagree. I think you vastly underestimate tribalism. Right? I mean, doing this job over the years, I've seen a number of times where people are just destroyed in some sort of debate or a conversation, and then they somehow come off as the victim. Right? It becomes more of an emotional situation about ideals rather than someone if they're equipped for the job or not. But that said, regarding responses and reactions, one of the most notable ones here was Nevada Governor Steve Sisolak. And he said he will not be letting the people of Nevada be used as a placebo group. We are clearly not ready to open. We have, sadly, since you did that interview, we now have 187 deaths in the state of Nevada, but over 4,100 positive cases. I will not allow the citizens of Nevada, our Nevadans, to be used as a control group, as a placebo, whatever she wants to call it. I, I certainly will not allow that. We also saw Las Vegas City Councilman Brian Knudsen saying that reopening is reckless and completely contrary to the overwhelming consensus of medical experts. You also have the Culinary Workers Union, which is the largest union in the state of Nevada, calling her comments outrageous and saying that 11 of its members have died from COVID-19. Now, the good thing for those that disagree with the mayor of Las Vegas is it appears she doesn't really have much power here. And that's because the governor has declared a mandatory statewide lockdown, closed all non-essential businesses. As far as the casinos and the strip go, she actually doesn't have any power at all over the strip. But ultimately, that's where we are with this story right now. And I mean, as far as my opinion, I think it's clear at this point. If this interview is a prime example of who the mayor of Las Vegas actually is, she seems completely crazy and unqualified. Right, that whole control group, placebo thing, it, it felt very much like she was like, okay, I know the experts have said, we should not allow ships to go into iceberg. But I've been asking and saying, we should take the Titanic and just go into an iceberg to see. Right? How do we know until we actually try with a ship full of people that maybe are not on board with this? But yeah, uh, that, that's where we're gonna end this one. Uh, that's a story, also my personal opinion, and I pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts around this situation and also specifically about the mayor of Las Vegas. And then uh, kind of to counteract just the, the bad taste uh, in my mouth from that last story, let's talk about some people using their influence for good right now. First up, we have the fantastic Mr. Beast announcing a live stream that he'll be hosting with YouTube Originals on April 25th. And there, influencers will be competing in a rock, paper, scissors tournament online. But the big thing, the winners get $250,000 to donate to a charity to help with the global pandemic. We also saw the likes of YouTube's own, Christine, Simply Neological, and Ben setting up $3,000 in tabs at three restaurants in Ottawa for healthcare workers. Right, and telling healthcare workers, if you are a healthcare worker, just say you wanna charge it to the Simply Neological tab and show them your badge credentials when you pick up your order. And also encouraging people to support their local restaurants in their community. And actually there, we, we've seen a lot of efforts of people trying to help medical professionals and local businesses specifically. Personally, one of the most amusing to me was you had Eminem thanking Detroit hospital workers with mom's spaghetti. We've also seen the likes of Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson who have both recovered from COVID-19 saying they'll be donating their plasma to aid in research and treatment efforts. Which also on that note, once again, to remind people the, the Red Cross does need blood and plasma right now. And that's both 
in general, and specifically the, the Red Cross is coordinating with the Food and Drug Administration, and they're looking for people who have recovered from the coronavirus. With the Red Cross reportedly hoping that donors will sign up to donate plasma, which will then be transfused to current COVID-19 patients in the hospital. And here, uh, donors can actually sign up online and the Red Cross will contact you back. But once again, that's for a current and specific reason, and in general, blood donations are always needed, even in the midst of a pandemic. And I also specifically mentioned that last thing, because I know there are a lot of people that want to help right now, but are in a horrible place themselves, but, but this is something that doesn't involve money. But from that, I wanna share some stuff I love today, and today in Awesome, brought to you by Dbrand. You know, Dbrand, they're already well known for protecting and customizing your phones, your tablets, your laptops, hell, even AirPods, PS4, Xbox. Though one of my personal favorites are these skins and glasses for the Nintendo Switch. And in fact, there, one of my personal favorites is their new limited edition drop that's live now for the not Animal Crossing, it's got a look I love, and best of all, if you wanna snag that, which like I said, it's a limited edition drop that's live now, or really anything on their site, just click that link down below, or go to dbrand.com slash defranco and use code defranco to get 20% off your order right now. And to make things even better, they have free tracked global shipping for any order over $25, but main point, Great products at a great deal if you get in while you can. The first bit of awesome today is one, not only will there be a Friday Philip DeFranco show, but also two, uh, it is a special one, but I don't know how to describe it without completely ruining it. So I guess what I'll say is just trust me and I'll see you tomorrow. I'm very interested to see your reaction to it, but I also kind of feel like it's much needed. Then we had Gus Johnson giving us your inappropriate uncle at family gatherings. If it's your kind of awesome, we had the cast of Too Hot to Handle trying snacks from around the world. Binging with Babish gave us ice cream sandwiches. We got a promo for Jerry Seinfeld's new special, 23 Hours to Kill. We had the fantastic Burt Kreischer returning to Hot Ones Quarantine Edition. We had Minute Earth giving us the extinction happening inside you. Comedy Central gave us Stir Crazy with Olivia Munn. And if you want to see the full versions of everything I just shared, the secret link of the day, really anything at all, links as always are in the description down below. And then let's talk about a very important story regarding the economy unemployment, and Mitch McConnell. Right, so Thursdays in general these days has become a generally shitty day. Right? It's the day that we get updated unemployment numbers. And so today we saw from the Labor Department that another 4.4 million people filed for unemployment last week, right? And so that means that it brings the number of claims filed since mid-March to over 26 million. Right, so that means that according to reports, almost 20% of working age Americans, one-fifth, of those people are now unemployed. And as we've been saying for weeks now, that number is expected to rise, right? With some economists saying that it could take weeks before we see them dip below the millions. Right, so obviously the growing number of people without jobs, incredibly bad for an already struggling economy. It also creates another economic issue as well. It is just expensive as hell. Right, when you have tens of millions of people filing for unemployment, states are starting to run out of money in their unemployment trust funds. And that's even with the $250 billion the federal government gave the unemployment insurance program in the last stimulus bill. And in fact, according to reports, nearly half of US states have logged double digit percentage declines in their trust fund balances since the end of February. And the states that have been hit the hardest by the coronavirus are seeing the biggest losses. For example, from the end of February to mid-April, New York has already used around half of its unemployment trust fund money. Massachusetts has used about half of its funds. California has used nearly 40%. And there, already California has been approved to borrow what is expected to be billions of dollars from the federal government to pay unemployment claims. And so according to experts, this is something that we're likely to see more states doing in the coming weeks. With a report by the Tax Foundation earlier this month finding six states, which collectively account for one third of the US population are currently in a position to pay out fewer than 10 weeks of the unemployment compensation. Now here, the, the good news is that Congress does not have to approve giving federal loans to states that need more money for their unemployment fund. The state's governor just has to send a letter. But this still speaks to a much broader problem. States are running out of money. Right? In addition to more people needing unemployment benefits, states are also seeing an increased demand for other social safety net and welfare programs. They also have to deal with other coronavirus related spending. Like we talked about many times before, Trump has put a ton of responsibility on the governors and states to deal with the coronavirus. And so especially for those 
those hardest hit states, those costs can add up. And on top of all of that, the economic shutdowns have also significantly decreased tax revenues. And there, according to reports, sales tax revenue, which is the biggest source of revenue for most states, has totally tanked because businesses are shut down and consumers are staying home. Additionally, income tax revenue has gone down because more and more people are becoming unemployed and thus not paying income taxes. This also not helped by the fact that tax filing deadlines have been extended. And unlike the federal government, the vast majority of states cannot deficit spend if they run out of money. And more specifically, right now, 46 states in DC have laws that require them to keep a balanced budget. And even those four states that don't, they still have pretty strict rules. And so that means that for states to get more money without federal help, they either have to raise taxes, make significant budget cuts, or both. But now would also literally be the worst time possible to do those things, right? Tons and tons of people are unemployed. They can't make ends meet, much less pay higher taxes. And governments right now need all the money they can get to pay for social services and other expenses that they're already struggling to pay. Right? So even cutting the budget there would make the situation even worse. And so in the midst of the situation, what we ended up seeing is that on April 11th, the National Governors Association wrote a letter to Congress asking to approve $500 billion in funding for financial assistance to states, writing, the recently passed Federal CARES Act contains zero funding to offset these drastic state revenue shortfalls. To stabilize state budgets and to make sure states have the resources to battle the virus and provide the services the American people rely on, Congress must provide immediate fiscal assistance directly to all states. And also adding they wanted the stimulus bill to be amended, this to allow money given to states exclusively for COVID response to be used to replace lost revenue as well. And here, as has been noted, while $500 billion might seem like a lot of money, uh, one, the money would be for all the states, and two, as has been pointed out, that's also the exact amount of money that Congress gave to bail out corporations in the $2 trillion stimulus package back in March. But despite that letter and pressure from congressional Democrats in this latest stimulus bill, which was passed by the Senate on Tuesday and is expected to be passed in the House today, it provides zero funding to states. And uh, of note here, while speaking on a radio interview yesterday, we saw Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell say that he opposed giving money to the states. I think this whole business of additional assistance for state and local governments needs to be thoroughly evaluated. I would certainly be in favor of allowing states to use the bankruptcy uh, route. It saves some cities, and there's no good reason for it not to be available. Uh, my guess is their first choice would be for the federal government to borrow money from future generations to send it down to them now so they don't have to do that. Uh, that's not something I'm going to be in favor of. We also saw Mitch McConnell and his office making this very much a left versus right thing, even issuing a statement where they called his opposition to state funding stopping blue state bailouts. Right? And so it really wasn't a surprise that that remark got a ton of backlash. And among those, you had the likes of newer Governor Andrew Cuomo really slamming McConnell's statement. What he's saying is the blue states are the states that have the coronavirus problem. Why? Because the coronavirus problem is basically a function of density and urban areas have more density. And those are cities, and cities are blue. They are Democrats. So why should he bail out the blue areas? I mean, it really is offensive. Uh, you talk about one issue where you, you, you think you can get past partisanship and pettiness, uh, and now you, you talk about helping communities where people are dying, and you say, they are blue states. Uh, how, how am I supposed to reopen if you want me to declare bankruptcy? Cuomo also went after McConnell for this kind of false and at the very least misleading statement of blue states versus red states, even using Kentucky, the state that he represents as an example. Let me just go back to my self-proclaimed grim reaper, Senator McConnell, for another second. He represents the state of Kentucky, okay? When it comes to fairness, uh, New York State puts much more money into the federal pot than it takes out, okay? At the end of the year, we put in to that federal pot $116 billion more than we take out, okay? 
his state, the state of Kentucky, takes out 148 billion more than they put in. His state takes out more than it puts in. Senator McConnell, who's getting bailed out here? It's your state that is living on the money that we generate. You know, while we also saw the likes of, of a Pelosi criticizing the move, we also saw some Republicans criticizing it as well. People like Representative Pete King who tweeted, McConnell's dismissive remark that states devastated by coronavirus should go bankrupt rather than get the federal assistance they need and deserve is shameful and indefensible. To say that it is, quote, free money to provide funds for cops, firefighters, and healthcare workers makes McConnell the Marie Antoinette of the Senate. Now also, really notably here, states do not have the power to go bankrupt, right? Doing that would require a change in federal law. And as of right now, it's unclear if that would happen. As some reports have pointed out, right, this idea was floated during the 2008 recession. But there, it drew widespread disdain from Wall Street investors, public employee unions, and both Republican and Democratic governors who said it would unsettle the bond market and cause even the most fiscally sound states to face higher interest rates because of the risk the debt could be wiped out in court. Right, and with all of this being said, it's also kind of unclear to see what's going to happen. You have, you have Democrats saying that they're going to be pushing for funding in the next stimulus bill, and Trump even seemed to kind of support it. After meeting with Cuomo on Tuesday, Trump said that the states will need assistance and added. I think most Republicans agree too and Democrats, and that's part of phase four. Right? And in general, what we're seeing are a number of experts believing that not giving states money could totally undermine the current efforts to recover the economy. And as one report put it, withholding state support, in other words, would directly counteract the measures that McConnell and his fellow senators have already set in motion to bolster the American economy. What good is a $1,200 check if states are backed into raising taxes that take most of it away? Will small businesses bounce back if their neighbors are unemployed or local roads and bridges remain decrepit? And in fact, according to studies, those spending cuts put in place by states during the Great Recession likely worsened it and made it last longer. But ultimately, that's where we are with this one right now. We're gonna have to wait to see what happens next regarding legislation, uh, impact in general. And of course, with all of this, I'd love to know your thoughts regarding the, the unemployment, uh, the states issue, Cuomo versus McConnell. Yeah, let me know what you're thinking in those comments down below. And then let's talk about something that we touched on last week, but the problem has only gotten bigger since. And what I'm talking about here are food suppliers facing outbreaks and food shortages. So let's start with food suppliers first, specifically meat plants, because in the last couple of days, there have been a ton of headlines about the issues that they're facing. Right, we've seen hundreds of meat workers now contracting the virus, and it also doesn't just stop with them, the communities around them are being infected as well. According to local sources in Missouri, rural counties that are home to meat packing plants have a higher infection rate than major cities in the state. Right, you have Saline and Montauk counties seeing 419 and 341 cases per 100,000 residents. Meanwhile, St. Louis County has a rate of 234 per 100,000, and experts believe that the meat plants are at least partially responsible for the scale of the outbreaks in these rural places. And the reason for that is workers at these plants are considered essential. So they, they go to work in person every single day, and social distancing at these meat plants is not a simple task. Employees generally have to stand close to one another, sometimes touching the same things, working side by side in shared spaces. So these are locations where the virus is an incredibly easy time spreading. Now in some places, companies have started doing temperature checks before workers start their shifts, also staggering breaks and taking additional cleaning efforts. Some have also claimed to have relaxed policies about sick leave, but uh, two things there. One, the pressure to work still exists. And two, as we've hit over and over these past months, experts do believe that you can pass this without any symptoms showing. Right, so you have many fearing that the efforts being made aren't enough, and some even thinking that there are no efforts that could help. Right, so we end up seeing examples like one meat plant worker in Georgia telling ABC News that one of her coworkers contracted COVID-19, but saying she was still told that despite the pandemic, she had to show to work or risked losing her job. And notably here, not only does she have a daughter, she lives with her grandmother and has other serious health conditions that she needs to worry about. So she felt she had no choice but to stop going, saying, why are we losing our jobs? Because we don't want to put our health in jeopardy. And understand the pressure for these workers to show up to the plants to stay open, it's not just coming from the plants themselves. Some leaders in the Midwest want these plants to stay open as well. I mean, you have people like Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, uh, afraid to see what would happen 
happen if you had mass closures of meat plants. And notably here, her state produces one third of the nation's pork, so she fears that things like job losses and food shortages will come. Saying in a statement, these are also essential businesses and an essential workforce. Without them, people's lives and our food supply will be impacted. So we have to do our part to keep them open in a safe and responsible way. But once again, there are a lot of people that are afraid that it's just not possible to do so in a safe and responsible way. Or you have people like Daryl Hendrickson, the environmental specialist from Montauk County, Missouri, saying that's the problem with facilities of this type. They have distance as much as possible, but I can't guarantee they get six feet between all employees. Which is also one of the many reasons that some plants in the area have closed, and several others nationwide have made that same choice. I mean, yesterday we saw Tyson close two of its plants because of the outbreaks, with one being its biggest pork plant. That plant, based in Iowa, was linked to nearly half of its county's coronavirus outbreaks with over 180 infections. With Tyson releasing a statement saying, despite our continued efforts to keep our people safe while fulfilling our critical role of feeding American families, the combination of worker absenteeism, COVID-19 cases, and community concerns has resulted in our decision to stop production. And Tyson is not alone there. Other major companies in the U.S. like Smithfield Foods and JBS USA have had to make similar decisions as well. And so, with these continued closures, a lot of people are concerned about what this does to the food supply chain. And regarding what experts are saying, we, we are seeing the likes of Purdue University economist Jason Lusk saying, it's a very fluid and volatile situation to keep an eye out for in the days to come. Also seeing reports in the Washington Post that add, even for meat that does get processed, restaurants are slashing orders for expensive cuts that do not necessarily sell at supermarkets. And adding, industry experts worry if grocers run low, shoppers will begin hoarding meat, much as they have with toilet paper, cleaning supplies, and pantry staples since the pandemic started. Right, and then you pair that with the head of the United Nations World Food Program, David Beasley, saying that food shortages are going to be a global problem on a massive scale. Saying that if nothing is done soon, quote, we could be facing multiple famines of biblical proportions within a short few months. And further explaining that the coronavirus could cause an additional 130 million people to be pushed to the brink of starvation by the end of 2020. Now, obviously, when anyone is making a statement about life or death and they use the term biblical proportions, th th that sounds super scary. Right, and I'm not saying anything too deep there. It's just that you very rarely hear the phrase, oh, there was so much love, like of biblical proportions. But that said, believe it or not, there is some good news here. We have been seeing some companies doing their part, trying to help out people who need food and increasing access. Publix, for example, announced an initiative to make sure that food that would potentially go to waste gets donated. Saying in a statement, restaurant, hotel, and school closings have affected Florida's produce farmers and southeastern dairies, resulting in good food going to waste. At the same time, Feeding America estimates 17.1 million people will experience food insecurity due to school closures and rising unemployment in the coming months. And so to help combat this, they plan on purchasing produce and milk directly from the farmers to donate to Feeding America and local food banks. And here they say they plan on doing this for several weeks. They're also anticipating that they're going to donate 150,000 pounds of produce, 43,500 gallons of milk in just one week alone. All right, so definitely an impressive effort. And hey, hopefully, and maybe even more companies will try to do something as well. And that is where I'm going to end today's show. And hey, if you like this video, you like the way that I try to break down the news every day, hit that like button. Also, if you're new here, definitely subscribe, tap that bell to turn on notifications so you don't miss these daily videos. Also, hey, if you're looking for more videos to watch right now, we got those new videos with Daniel Sloss or or maybe you just missed yesterday's show, you wanna catch up, you can click or tap right there to watch those right now. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco, you've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow. I hope you liked the video. Subscribe if you like it.